0: Ephesians two seventeen, and he, that is Jesus, came and preached peace to you, Ephesian church. Who preached peace to the Ephesian church? Christ, who were far off, and peace to those who were near. So Jesus preached to the Ephesians peace. Jesus never went to Ephesus. So you see, Paul understands that Jesus preaches through those preachers whom he sends. Make sense? So that's what we talked about last week, that there are particular individuals who are called to be preachers. They are sent by Jesus. If they're not sent by Jesus, they're frauds. They're posers. But those who are sent by Jesus, when they preach, you should listen with the expectancy of hearing Jesus speaking to you. So if Jesus is speaking to us through the preached word, how powerful is it? Pretty powerful, right? Yes, very powerful. Calvin says it like this. Calvin says that God directs the course of history through preaching. That God creates disturbances among the nations through preaching. That God brings about the consummation of his eternal purposes in history through preaching. That's big. That's big. Calvin says that the preaching of God's word through the, through the word of God or of the word of God, Christ's voice, establishes the kingdom wherever it abounds, that Christ subdues the earth through it. That is, he executes and exercises his dominion over the earth through the preaching of the word. It's his scepter that he uses to rule over men and over the nations. It's the sword which comes from his mouth. That's right in which or through which he brings judgment. He smites the wicked with the word of his mouth. And how does he primarily do that or especially do that on earth? Through preachers, through the preaching of his word. When the preached word is from the mouth of the preacher, it accomplishes Christ's purposes in the hearts of the hearers. When the word of God goes forth when Jesus speaks, does it do what it wishes to do? Yes. It accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish. And what does he set out to accomplish through the word? Well, it's a two-edged sword, isn't it, that flows from his mouth. So it rouses and it hardens. It curses and it blesses. It softens. It saves. It condemns. It has the effect of life and death. It binds, it looses, it gathers, and it drives away. The scripture is the means... The preaching of the scripture is the means to do both, right? It's through the preaching of the word of God that Jesus' judgment over the world is executed. That's big. Through the preaching and through, of course, the Holy Spirit, which proceeds from the Son down here on earth. All right, so we could stop right there. Um, I think that is huge, and I think that is a, a, a truth, That the American church in general hates with a capital H. Hates it. Because it is an absolute attack on the God of America, which is the self. And the self's rule over the self. Autonomy. And so the world and the apostate church, the two great enemies of the faith, will do everything they possibly can to silence Jesus' voice and to silence preachers. That's what Satan does through the apostate church and through the world, yet Jesus continues to rule through the preaching of the word. It's huge. Now, here's a qualifier for you, because you might be thinking this, you're nervous, you're an American, you know, you struggle with all the same, you know, uh, fears about authority in general, and you know, in America, we have a major authority crisis. We hardly, we don't hardly even believe in authority except for when they show up with badges and guns, Right? No, but we have a major authority problem in America. But, um, and so you might be feeling this way. You might think to ascribe this authority to a preacher is dangerous. That's dangerous. Well, first of all, it's not your call. It's not my call. Jesus ascribes it to the preacher. If you feel, feel that that's dangerous, you feel like Jesus is playing fast and loose, then take it up with him, right? But it is kind of dangerous, right? <laughs> It is, you know, There's ton, that means there's going to be opportunities for misuse and, and for abuse, right? And of course, who hasn't heard stories of uh, megalomaniacs manning a pulpit to uh, abuse people, right? And to build their own little kingdoms, right? The potential for abuse is so great that many people refuse to even submit to it, to even entertain it. And they will do their best to, to align themselves with a preacher who does not preach authoritatively, who ends every sentence with a question mark, right? who doesn't have a concept of his particular calling or the authority from which he preaches. And so they just simply think it would, be, it would be easier or safer to not do that, to not submit myself with that. And especially not to submit myself to a preacher who I know and who I have proximity with. Because why? Because familiarity breeds contempt. You know, give it a matter of time, you'll find out that Jesus didn't send you an angel to preach to you on Sunday mornings. He's somewhere between an angel and a donkey. That's every preacher, right? That's how God decided to do it. Wives, you understand because he gave you your husband, right? He, he doesn't rule the world through perfect angels. He rules the world by his spirit and through his blemished church. He even said, he said it very plainly, that he sends the foolish to shame the wise. Part of it is that the foolishness of preachers and the foolishness of preaching that he sends stumbles the wise, stumbles the mighty, stumbles the proud. They don't want to be associated with that donkey. So there are balances though to this. One balance is considering the power of preaching and the authority of preaching, and the uh, the suspicion or the contempt or the just you know lack of of uh, of uh, being impressed with the preacher. uh, The balance is you can find a preacher on the internet. Um, You see, the good thing about a preacher on the internet is that everything there is curated very carefully, right? Um, It's not only curated; it's poll tested. The algorithm, you know, mixes and matches it for you and finds you who you like. And as soon as he, uh, you know, confronts anything in your life, um, what's that, Jesus? Right. Pause. Or next. You can do that. You can find a preacher that suits your tastes, your preferences, as quickly as you can find a song on the radio that you like, that fits your particular style, right? You'll see the problem. That's, that's one way to balance it out. Right? Plus, preachers on the internet, you're not familiar with them. You don't know them. And so they are almost like uh, their icons, their, their images. And they're polished and perfect. You know? They have media departments. right? So you can balance out these concerns by doing that for the rest of your life. But I do not think that's the right Christian approach. I really don't. Right? They don't know you, and you don't know them. So, but what is the balance? Are there any balances? Well, sure. The preacher is not to preach anything but the Bible, right? He's supposed to preach the Bible, and, uh, and no one ever believes that the preacher himself is um, inerrant, but that the Bible is inerrant, and that God uses errant preachers to preach his inerrant Bible, right? So, but the preacher is to put forward nothing but the text, this is the dangerous thing. I don't know if you are following what's going on with Andy Stanley. Um, maybe you are, maybe you're not. He's, you remember when he famously unhitched himself from the Old Testament. Well, now he's unhitching himself from the whole Bible. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you saw it coming though, right? It's, it is the inevitable, uh, it is the logical end of Arminianism, to be honest with you. Because when you believe that God's word and human reason are both authorities, and you attempt to synthesize those things, which is what Arminianism is, eventually you conclude that, well, God's word you need for less and less and less things. And man's reason you need for more and more and more things. It's kind of what happened in the the history of the West. Thomas Aquinas said, we don't need the Bible for all of life, just some of life. And then eventually the West said, well, if we don't need the Bible for all of life, we don't really need the Bible for any of life. And they kick the whole thing out completely. And that's where Andy Stanley is now. No longer he no, he says literally, and you can look it up online. He says that the Bible says is no longer a good place to start for most Christians. That's not where he wants. You see his uh, his epistemology or how he knows what is certain. He no longer wants to hold to the revelation of Scripture. But now he's he's often floating in midair. You see the problem with that is there's no longer this balance. So he now has unhitched himself from the balances that uh, protect the sheep from megalomania and from false teaching. So now he will, unhitched from the Bible, begin to preach whatever he wants to preach. It will be popular, though, guaranteed. All right, right, well, let's, um, let's move on. Any questions about that before I move on to another slightly different subject? The preacher is the envoy of Christ, and as he fulfills this role, Christ preaches. Right, any questions about that? That's why I want my kids to go to the bathroom before service, you know, just as a practical thing. Now, sometimes there's an emergency, and I know that when, when Jesus was literally preaching on this earth, if someone had a bathroom emergency, he please, go. It's totally fine. But you want to be attentive. You want to be prepared. You want to be expectant so that you can hear Christ's voice. All right, right, well, if there's nothing else, I'm going to move on. So, okay, so now let's move on. Let's flip the coin. If Christ preaches through the preacher, as the Bible clearly says, and he does all that he does through the preaching of the word, then you can expect that the hearers, the hearers, are going to have passionate responses. When Jesus preached on this earth, did anyone yawn at it and ho hum? Maybe some people, but mostly they loved it or they hated it, right? Why don't you listen to this passage. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. This is Paul. When I came to Troas for the purpose of preaching the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So do you see the picture? Paul has to go to Macedonia. He's going to preach. And Jesus, who is the captain of the Lord's army, is leading his procession, his triumphal procession toward Macedonia. And Jesus is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. I think we could say he's doing it through Paul's preaching. Interesting. So Jesus is leading the triumphal procession because Jesus is the the heir and the uh, owner of all things. He has authority on earth. Wherever he goes, it's a triumphal procession. He's the victor. It's his place. And he's going and his preachers, his heralds, are preaching and What they are preaching is a, quote, fragrance, a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Verse 15, for we, Paul, and probably speaking of Titus and others, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So now we normally apply this to just Christian life and Christians in general. But the context here is him going to preach. And uh, so we can at least apply that to preaching as well. And he says, As Christ leads the, the Paul with his intent to preach and spreading the fragrance that to some it's the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. You see that? Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. What's he talking about there? What is it, uh, he's saying we're not, we're not sufficient for these things like the peddlers of God's word. Right? That's other preachers, false preachers. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, see the preacher is commissioned. He's supposed to be sincere to the word. In the sight of God, we speak. In Christ, you see, this actually talking about preaching, although it can be applied to the whole Christian life. And when Paul goes forth preaching, it leaves his hearers, uh, you know, with visceral reactions. You know, Emily listed a house recently, and there had been uh, cats in the house, lots and lots of cats. And when you walked into that house, you couldn't help yourself it was grotesque you had to run out screaming you had to hit the back doors and it you know when you're a realtor normally you want a house to have a warm hospitable smell like cookies baking in the oven right or fresh bread ah this home is inviting me and and you and it's almost it almost it's something that you can't help if there's the fresh baked bread it draws you in. You can't even help it. Like, oh, this place is nice. I love this place, right? You you overlook all sorts of things. But if you walk into and are hit with a cloud of cat urine, you're out the door. You don't even look at the house. You're out the door, completely. And uh, even after like quite a bit of of remediation, and the smell was almost gone, I walked into the house like this. I'm like, okay, okay. Oh, that. There it is, right there, Because right. <laughs> cat urine is one of those smells. That's just like, it was so bad, I almost thought it was done on purpose, like someone like foreclosed and they just ruined the house on purpose. But it turned out there was, you know, just lots of cats and the door was left closed for a long time. So yikes. But imagine that, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying the preaching of the Bible, Christ's voice through his commissioned preachers, is passionate, it is authoritative, and it evokes a passionate response. And there's two. Disgust, out the back door, hardened, condemned, driven away, or ah, fresh warm bread. Isn't that something? And you should be able to, if you're a Christian, you should be able to identify with that to some extent things you have thought of as fresh bread others have thought of as cat urine that's right and you think well how can this be how can this be well this is what we're promised through the preaching of the word this is what is promised the authoritative preaching of the word of god elicits a passionate response a passionate yes a passionate no right cat urine or baking bread Love it and hate it. That's right. Now, the temptation, here's the temptation. The temptation is because in today's world, success is determined by the size of your audience during your Sunday morning worship experience. So you have to understand the church does not have a concept of all of Christ for all of the world, for all of life. They think of the church as one of the dials on the station. That's the dial you go to when you want to have a good cry um, or maybe you want to have a spiritual experience of some sort. There's going to be melancholy tones, very somber, a little weepy Christian music, right? Right? And uh, you, if you want to celebrate, if you want you know to party, you want to dance, you go to the other aisles. Dials. You have the Christians in their own little tiny ghetto. It's called the ghettoization of Christianity. That's what we are all in our own little bubble, our own little small ever shrinking bubble of irrelevancy. Right? That's what the church is. But that's because the church thinks that way. The church. That's in the church's mind. Right. Gnosticism, which believes that the spirit is good and material is bad, that's in the church. Platonism, which believes that the other world is the one we should all be longing for, right? Not this one, that's in the church's mind. So that the church believes that Christianity is basically the realm of an individual going on his individual spiritual journey of escape from this world into another realm. So no wonder they don't have a concept of all of life, okay? So now without a concept of all of life, right, everything in the world comes into their minds and church now has become a Sunday morning experience that church has put on as performances, tailor-made for whatever the tastes of the world are, right? And the, and the, and the temptation is, because the measurement is size, the temptation is to not preach anything That smells like cat urine because that will drive them out. You want nothing but cookies. Of course, they're Arminian and they don't believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation and they don't believe in the total depravity of man so that they think people in general think what Jesus says is is warm bread. They think that, but that's obviously not true from the Bible. So they try to keep everything positive, everything light, everything warm and hospitable and anything that might um, revoke a passionate ugh, ugh, ew, out is, is done away with. That is the state of American Christianity. But you see, if the preacher does that, what is the negative side of that? It, well, sure, yeah, that's bad. Not preaching the whole council. They won't hear Jesus. Because that is not Jesus. That is not Jesus, right? You see, if you, if you make sure you avoid the cat urine, you will avoid the warm bread. There's no way around it because the preaching of the word of God elicits one or the other. So that it, true preaching, authoritative preaching of the word of God through which Christ speaks elicits both of those responses. It is a two-edged sword by definition, and if you neuter it so that so you don't have the cat urine, you will not have the warm bread. And that's precisely what most of modern American evangelical preaching sounds like. And that's when it's not being exegetically incorrect, right? Which is often exegetically incorrect as well. So that's the temptation. And, uh, and pastors are obviously tempted by that. Even still to this day, it, which I, I thought that it would die with COVID. I thought maybe COVID would kill this impulse, but even still to this day, preachers are like, what y'all running? What y'all running? Don't ask me what we're running. Like, I, that's like, I'm, I'm glad you're curious about it, but it's so strange. That's the one thing you ask me is, are you, what y'all running? Yeah, no. If, if you want to know what a fruitful and successful ministry would look like, it would look like the establishment of a Christian covenantal community in a culture. That's what it looked like. That involves families, vocations, uh, civil leaders, um, church courts, the preaching of the Word of God, Sunday morning worship experiences, parties, uh, baby uh, dedications, or baby, what do they do when you go to the house? Baby showers. It would be a culture. It would be a Christian culture where we are modeling and demonstrating to the world how to live all of Christ and all of life so that when they come to Christ Church, every station they turn to is the Christian one. Jazz station, Christian. Country station, Christian. And if we did this, we might actually come up with new things, right? But every station is Christian in this world. And so that would be a success. That would be a success. That takes generations, though. Um, Attracting the largest number of uh, goats to your preaching, which is not preaching, is not success. It's not. It's most certainly a sin. It's a terrible sin. All right. So what about you, though? Because it, be, it wouldn't do us any good to just talk about, you know, everybody else's problems. All right. We have to first talk about our own problems. If you're a Christian, does the preaching of the Word of God stir you? I don't mean does it, do you have an emotional reaction necessarily I mean, you have your good days and your bad days. You got five kids screaming next to you. You know, it's, it's hard to really, you know, <laughs> you know, really concentrate. That's fine though. The, Jesus's words are powerful. You don't think Jesus can cut through um, the the cries of children? Oh, he definitely can. Do you do, do your children sense your zeal for the voice of Christ? You know, or you hear the voice of Christ and you um, get in your car and boop, off to the, you turn that radio station, church world for 45 minutes, ever shrinking, irrelevant bubble. And as soon as you get back to life, okay, back to life, kids, back to life. Not all of Christ and all of life. If you raise them that way, they will continue to go in that direction, Right? Um, is, Is the preaching of the word of God a sweet aroma to you? Do you leave wanting to spread the aroma, spread the good news? Or are you disinterested in it, annoyed by it, even perhaps defensive against it? Have you heard it so many times that your heart is hardened by it? Right? Perhaps you're embarrassed by it, hoping your friends won't hear it online. Right? or your parents, or your cousins, or whatever. Perhaps you used to have a craving for it, and uh, you understood the authoritative nature of it, and you listened to it with expectancy, but that has all died down now, and you go through the motions, happy that you have your cell phone on you so you can check the score. There's a lot of Christians like that. So what do you think is going to happen, though, if that goes unchecked? What do you think will happen? Do you think it will only affect their Sunday morning worship experience? No, because that's not how God designed the world. Right? That's not how the world works. It will go on to in- cause increasing lack of passion in every area of life. Lack of meaning, lack of purpose, because you won't have Christ's word in your life for all of life. You will grow cold and disinterested in it. And that lack of passion will bleed over into your marriage, into your job, Et cetera, et cetera, And here's the worst thing about it, is that eventually what smelled like warm baking bread will eventually go, what's it called when you, you get used to a smell and you can't hear anymore? No, smell blind or nose blind. You, go, you become nose blind to it, but eventually because that's not how sin works, sin's not okay with neutral, eventually the sweet aroma will smell like cat urine to you. And that's what the Bible calls losing your first love. That's what the Bible calls losing your first love. The American church, by and large, you know, obviously, generally, I'm not talking about everyone, there's always a remnant, but by and large, the American church has lost its first love. That's right. Now, if you lose your first love, does that mean that's it for you and you're going to hell? No, because you, I'm preaching right now. I'm saying everything that Jesus says. I literally just quoted a Bible verse, all right? And Jesus gave that Bible verse so that the Ephesian church, whom he was writing to in the book of Revelation, would repent and come back to their first love, right? It's important. Amen? (laughs) All right, so you see, we can't just talk about other people's sins, we've got to talk about ours. And by the way, the American church sins are in our mind too, which is why I bring them up, right? That's all of our problems are those problems too. <clears throat> All right, now let's move on, last topic. Last week I had a bunch of questions about this, not a bunch, two or three, but about the call, about the call to be a preacher. Some of you may be wondering, am I called to be a preacher? Um, I don't know, let's, we can go around the room and ask, but uh, you know, Jordan's thought about that, perhaps, you know, he's thought about that, Um. That's one of the main reasons why he's teaching at the school, so he can apprentice and, and, uh, and whatnot. But um, here's the thing. Every call, the call to, have, to be preaching, it has two parts to it, okay? Two parts. First, there's the internal part that's caused by the Holy Spirit, and then there's the outward part that's caused by the Holy Spirit, all right? So the inward and the outward, that's the different parts of, uh, of the call. And then that inward part, if I can find my notes here, the inward part has several facets to it. One, there's a desire. Who gives you the desire? Christ gives you the desire. So any man that doesn't aspire to preach the word of God authoritatively, right, to, uh, to be used of Christ in that way, uh, should not do it, right? The preacher who has this particular desire is um, under compulsion, Y'all know Jeremiah tried to quit preaching, and um, I've never tried to pre- preach. I've never tried to quit preaching, but I do joke about it sometimes, um, <laughs> and my wife does not like it. And uh, <laughs> but uh, Jeremiah tried to quit. He didn't just joke about it. He tried to quit. Of course, his life was in danger, etc. But it said that he he said he could not quit because there it was as a fire shut up in his bones. That's something. It's a desire. There's a compulsion. And it usually starts with a consciousness in the spirit and a bit of pressure in the heart. You're, you have a sanctified uh, dissatisfaction with what you're doing for, for the kingdom. You feel as though you want uh, to be a preacher. And um, it's a, a craving to tell others what God has done. And any preacher who isn't um, informally preaching you know, shouldn't be given a formal position, right? You know, they need to be, any preacher who's not willing to get started at Christchurch Academy or at the Sunday school should not be given uh, any other office or slot. That's how you start, right? When you're called to preach, you don't, you don't get to, you don't get to pick your audience necessarily, right? Um that's uh, there's a sense of urgency maybe uh even a, a, it's going to be accompanied by a sense of inadequacy because as Paul said who is sufficient for these things you don't feel like you can speak well enough or you don't think you know the bible well enough you know been there right that's all part of it um any preacher who feels uh, adequate and competent uh, probably should be fired immediately <clears throat> And it's with this uh, insatiable appetite that the preacher will be able to continue on um, through all the various trials that will, that will be thrown at him. And, uh, and that's very necessary. If you don't have, if you don't have that in, internal desire, then, you know, don't even think about it. Now, Charles Bridges calls it this. He says it's constraining and it's considerate and it's disinterested. That means you do it even though you don't get paid. Even though you don't get perks, notoriety, fame, even though you don't get to do the adult class, you preach. Because you're disinterested in all those other factors. That's a good sign that someone uh, has the, the proper internal desire. If you want to preach because it makes you feel self-fulfilled, please don't, right? Right? That's not the point. Another thing, another part of that inward desire is that they have a fascination with the Bible. You're gonna preach the Bible authoritatively, and so you have to be curious about it, fascinated. Every single verse that, does, that you don't get, you're running it down. You're tracking it out, seeing how to harmonize that with the rest of Scripture. You're not okay with uh, skimming over large passages of Scripture and being ignorant of them. You have a fascination, and you have an obsession with the Word of God. It's the center of your attention, Right. Um, Also, a measure of competency. So, there's going to be that. Obviously, Jesus equips those that He calls. So, what sort of competencies would they need? And thank y'all for bearing with me. I know this is pretty irrelevant for some of you, but it's good to know, right? Um, And uh, and uh, I'll be able to share this with people who feel called to preach in the future. But there's uh, intellectual capacity, self discipline, self control communication gifts, wisdom gifts. Uh, They manage their household well. They're blameless before the law of God, all of the various other qualifications in scripture. Amen? All right, so that's the inward call. That's how someone knows if they're called on the inside, but then that's not enough because we're not individuals, autonomous individuals, the religion of America. That's not what we are. We are a part of a covenantal community, part of family, church, and civil society at large. And so you have to have an outward part of this call as well, And um, those who feel called should cheerfully submit themselves to their church and the leadership of their church. Cheerfully submit themselves. If they cannot submit, they are not called. If they cannot cheerfully submit, they are not called. I can remember when I I thought perhaps the Lord was calling me to preach, and I didn't exactly understand a lot of things. I was new to it, and and, uh, I didn't really have anyone to... Coach me except my pastor. And so I just I just prayed to God and I said, God, um, whatever he asked me to do, I'm just gonna say yes to it. And thank God he's a godly man. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't an idiot, but I but I was just like, whatever he asked me to do, I'm gonna say yes. And I found myself a preacher. I promise. I didn't <laughs> I never tried. I was a Spanish teacher. I was a Spanish teacher, and then I was government teacher, English teacher a bunch of other t- teachers, life science, earth science, everything they needed. And then finally, after four years, he's like, I think you should be the Bible teacher. I was like, I would love to do that. I was like, that's all I ever studied. I was like, oh, I just want to be a Bible teacher. I don't know why I, I was drawn to that. And so finally, he let me be a Bible teacher. Four, he figured four years was enough. And I had passed the test because I didn't come from their circles. I came from Louisiana. This was in Virginia. And so they didn't really know me. And so I, I passed the test. I'm teaching Bible. And, he, and then he's like, I think you should lead devotions for the teachers every morning. And I was like, okay. It, it used to take me four hours to prepare a devotion, 10-minute devotion. <laughs> and I was like, how can anyone prepare a sermon? This is a, how do they have enough time? And then he let me preach on Wednesday night, which was like, whew, that was next level. I was nervous. I preached on a Wednesday night. And people began to confirm that call. People in the church, other uh, older, older men and elders and pastors and, and deacons. And they would say, you know, I really do think the Lord is using you. And so there was, there was, that, there was sort of that organic confirmation. Plus my, my pastor and, the, and they didn't have an elder board. They called it a trustee board, but it was essentially the same thing. And eventually he's like, I think you should start a Spanish ministry. And I was like, okay. I thought he meant um, passing out Spanish Bibles. La Biblia, and I could pass those out all day, and then so I've got Spanish Bibles and Spanish tracts, and I was, we were handing them out and doing stuff, and he called me in his office. He's like, hey, when's the first service? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, when, I said, let's start a Spanish ministry. When's the first, church, the first service? And I was like, I thought you meant like tract distribution. He's like, no, I'm in a church. I was like, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. That's how it happened. And he, and, he just, and, and he would just say, When's the first service? And then his, uh, his brother was also an associate pastor. And he caught me in the hall one day. He's like, Now, I hope you're taking an offering in that service. I was like, Well, I wasn't going to. And he's like, You don't have to take an offering. That's how people worship. They worship through giving. I was, I was like, Yeah, but I thought because they're poor, maybe we shouldn't. He's like, No, no. The, 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 the poor want an opportunity to love Jesus too. I was like, Well, yeah, that makes sense. I was, you know, I just was saying yes to stuff. I don't know. <laughs> But they, had, they, they knew that I was cheerfully submissive. So they knew I had a short leash and I would do whatever they said. And I, you can look the church up online right now. There's about 250 people with Pastor Omar Garcia. Because after a few years of that, I just thought, I think this is what the Lord is calling me to. But it was, it was just something that I just fell backwards into. It wasn't just by saying yes to my pastors. You know, we've had people over the years that have come, I can think of two right now, but there's probably been about three or four, and it's the first meeting I ever have with them. They're 24, 25, and they're like, I I feel the Lord's going to call me to preach. I was like, okay, okay. And the first bit of pushback I give them, they leave. They leave the church. I was like, that is not how to confirm your call. That is radical, autonomous individualism looking for a pulpit to beat people up with. That is not the right way to do it. There is an inner call, but there's also an outward call. And that outward call is to be done through the church, through the elder board, and through wise counsel, etc. No one is allowed to appoint themselves to the office of preacher. No one gets to think, you know what, I, I think I would like my, a stab at this. I'm going to take a few people off here and, and I'm going to boss them around. No, no, no. That is, that is a recipe for destroying your family and yourself. Um, so that's why uh, when we started this church, um, Pastor Don Forrester and Virginia Baptist Church, uh, we had a ceremony and they laid hands on me and they ordained me and, uh, and sent me out along with some others to South Louisiana to plant the church. And after the church had been officially kind of up for a little while, Pastor Forrester flew in and preached and it was all done under cheerful submission because there's the inward call and there's also the outward call. See how I mean? All right, so that's the call. And, um, and I, hopefully you can gather from that uh, enough information to apply it to whatever particular situation you're in. All right, y'all have a great Lord's Day.